From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. Pastor Gary talked about giving last week. And for me, giving is, it is financial for sure in Scripture, but it's also giving of our gifts and giving of our time, and, and all of us can do that. Yes? We good? Yeah. All right, how many, it's, it's no excuse to still be sleepy. It's middle of the afternoon. <laughs> so we doing good? We've all had enough coffee? Okay, hey, let's dive into Scripture this morning. How many have ever, I want to teach you about decision-making this morning. How many have ever been at a crossroads and you have a tr- tough time making decisions? How many would say in your walk, making decisions is one of the more difficult things you face? How many are like me, and the risk of making a decision, the reason it's tough, is because you might make it wrong? Maybe you're like me, and you grew up, and you were taught that there's this perfect bullseye will of God. And in that perfect bullseye will of God, as long as you make the right decisions, you're going to get there. And it's like a dartboard, as long as you throw it perfectly at the center. But what happens when somebody yells right before you throw and it goes off to the one side? And then you end up on a wrong trajectory and somehow your life is different. Anybody grow up like that a little bit with that fear of it's pretty easy to get out of line and get wrong? We're in 1 Corinthians 16 this morning. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 gives away a little bit of how he makes decisions in his language. And it's not like Paul comes out and says, here's how I make decisions. But what he says here is, I'm coming to visit you after I have been to Macedonia, for I am planning to travel through Macedonia. It could be that I will stay a while with you, perhaps all winter, and then you can send me on my way. How many would like a friend that said that? (laughs) Send you the email? Hey, perhaps I'm going to stay with you all winter. You're like, wait, 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 wait. That should be a question we talk about. Um, Then you can send me on my way to the next destination. But this time, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while, if the Lord will let me. But in the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost, for there's a wide door for a great work here, and many people are responding. But there are many who oppose me. You say, how in the world is he talking about decision-making? Listen to the phrasing. For I am planning, it could be, perhaps all winter, if the Lord will let me, there's a wide door for a great work here. And what we see is that the Apostle Paul is sharing what I would call, if I was going to put a title on this teaching, I don't really title teachings much, I leave that to the team that posts them to the podcast, but if I was going to title it, I would say Paul's theology for how to make decisions in the kingdom would be surrender, it's surrendered, not concrete, which means Paul has an attitude that says, perhaps, this is what I think I'm going to do. And there's this sense of him being very surrendered in how he makes his decisions instead of the opposite, which is, this is what I'm going to do. I dare you, God, to change it. (laughs) 
And this for me, being a firstborn, I don't know, maybe you're like me, I'm firstborn, so the consequence of making a wrong decision plagues me. So every time I have to make a decision, the reality is I could screw this up. And because I knew I could screw it up, I just couldn't make a decision because I would try to, to play I would try to play out all the decisions all the way down the line and figure out which one was going to give me the best results. And, and then what happens if I, if I miscalculated it and I just would find myself, even though I'm a fairly driven individual, my life moves at a pretty quick pace. Every time I would come to a decision, it felt like life would stop because I just didn't know how to go anywhere and the risk of being wrong was so big. And I didn't want to miss God. I didn't want to miss the purpose and plan of God for my life. And if I made that wrong decision, I was going to miss my opportunity. And so I'm at college, young married guy. Blynn and I have been married maybe a year and a half, two years, and I'm at Christ for the Nations in British Columbia. And because I was an American living in Canada, going to a private school, uh, their answer was, you can't work here. Because they wouldn't, they wouldn't give me a work visa. So I've graduated and I'm, I'm done with school. My wife has a scholarship for the next year, so she's covered. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, I, we, had, we were young and married and we had bought a house this was, there's, we bought a house for $39,000. That tells you how old we are. We bought this house for $39,000 and we put a bunch of blood, sweat, and tears into it and flipped it and that's how we paid for school. So I'm watching, and maybe you've been in this moment where you're watching your bank account systematically go down and you're, you're smart enough to know the run rate on that is pretty soon zero, zero, and there's nothing below zero. And so I'm panicking as a guy who believes that having more money in the bank than it takes to live for a month is kind of an, uh, an important thing. And so I'm, I'm going in every, every day I would get out of school at noon. Towards, it's, it's May, it's the last semester, and I'm, I'm technically already almost graduated, but I, I would go in and I would apply for jobs in Bellingham and Blaine and Ferndale, Washington, which are the cities south from British Columbia. I put in for 88 jobs. Now, I'm, I, have, I have a lot of like belief in the fact that I may not know much, but I can work hard. And I'm not talking about like high-level, high-education jobs. I'm talking about I put in at every coffee shop I could find. I went to Starbucks and put in like nine different Starbucks resumes. And one of the managers looks at me and says this after the interview. I just don't think you're really a coffee person. And I, I held that and remembered it. That's why we serve Bindle. Um. I started laughing because I'm like, I get up and make my wife espresso every morning. I mean, I, mean it's, it's, I know coffee. I grew up in coffee culture. I went to Les Schwab Tire Center where I had, I had been in their management training program and I left. Uh, for, I worked for the number six guy in the company and he, he loved me. And as I left, he's like, if you ever want to work for me again, just let me know. I'd hire you in a spot. I'm like, okay, awesome. I'm in Ferndale, Washington and I go to the Les Schwab and they're looking for somebody. And I already had all the training and I put my name in the hat and the guy's like, yeah, I don't really think you're the right kind of guy for us. And I'm like, what is going on? I was just losing my mind. And I keep applying. I applied at Payless Shoe Store. I, apply, I applied at Olive Garden. I applied everywhere that would take an application. 88 jobs. I worked eight-hour days applying for jobs. Because I'm like, you know, the scriptures say a man doesn't work, shouldn't eat, and I'm going to be hungry real soon if I don't get a job. So I'm doing this, and I'm going back and forth, and I get a phone call. 
phone calls from my home church and my pastor says, hey, we want you to pray about coming back here and coming on staff and being a youth pastor. And I'm 23 years old at this time. And my statement at that moment was, I don't really see what I have in common with young people. Because in my mind, I was like 68. I mean, I just, it just didn't even make sense. And I'm like, that can't be God. And I hung up. And so I had been kind of around culture. I grew up in church, and I remember them talking about when people can't get answers, they pray and fast. And maybe, maybe I need to starve, and God will talk to me about this. And so, so I go on a five-day fast, and I hole up in my office, and I'm just sitting there all day long, just praying and worshiping. And you know the moment where you're trying to pray and fast, you get so bored, and you realize it's been 22 minutes. And so you're like, well, i got to be here the rest of the day. So I'm here, and I'm hanging out with God, and I look over on my bookshelf, and there's a book, and it's called Decision Making in the Will of God. It's by a guy named Gary Friesen, who's a professor at one of the Bible colleges in Portland, Oregon. And I start reading this manuscript. It had been sitting on my shelf for probably been in my bookshelf for four or five years. A friend had given it to me, and he's like, you know, this would be good for you. And I just ignored it because I'm like, how do you know it's good for me? So I started reading the book, and I'm reading this book. And out of this journey, God began to unlock how to make decisions in the kingdom for me. And I want to share that with us this morning because that's what Paul is really giving insight on in the way he talks. Psalm 37, 4, step one. For when we come to a place, a crossroads, where we have to make a decision, we got to know step one in the kingdom. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. This phrase, take delight, literally, the, the Hebrew means luxury or luxurious. It literally means to find a place of comfort. I would say it's the idea that cold winter night when you're sitting down watching TV and you grab that fleece blanket and you wrap it around yourself and you just kind of want to snuggle into it. That's the idea here of sitting with the Lord and allowing just his character, his nature to envelop you. And what happens when we do this he will give you your heart's desires. This is an interesting phrase because some of us would be like, cha-ching, it's like the slot machine, I got what I wanted. But that's not what it actually means. What it means is he actually begins to place into your life desire. In other words, you start to want what God wants you to want. And see, all too often, we fail to just sit with him and allow his culture, his person to invade us. But the beauty of it when we do is we begin to long for the things that he wants us to pursue. You say, well, I'm making a lot of decisions and I haven't done that. My encouragement is you should start there. Take delight in the Lord because when we take delight in the Lord, that's where we develop our ears to hear him and our eyes to see opportunity. The second step, I would say, comes up in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So when it comes to making decisions, there's a fundamental paradigm that as believers we have to have. How many would understand if I said there is a revealed will of God? God has already made a tremendous amount of his will understandable and knowable. It's in the scriptures. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This word lamp, this word light, both of them in the Hebrew carry the idea of light 
or illumination being cast onto something that is naturally dark. What does that tell me? That tells me that the human condition is that the unknown, our direction in life, our path is actually natively, normally dark, which means anybody without the word of God in their life has to make decisions on a more braille fashion or hope I make the right call. But in the kingdom, we have the opportunity to apply the scriptures because the scriptures show light onto our path. They help us make the right step. And in this way, it helps us to walk in the revealed will of God. You say, I don't really understand that phrase. The scriptures share God's heart. For us to not know God's heart is tragic. For us to not know God's will is tragic. You see, some of us have faced divorce, and we've looked at divorce as if, you know what, this person isn't working for me anymore. But if we knew the scriptures, we would know that the scriptures say something very clearly. God stands opposed to divorce. Well, that's awful. I don't want to stay there. There's always going to be moments in our life where we have to ask the question, who is on the throne of my life? Is it me or is it him? In the, moment, in the moments that I don't want what he's asking of me, those are the right moments to say, okay, Lord, I hate what you're calling me to right now, but I will follow you because I trust you. So you've done these two things. You're, you're, you're in life, you're making decisions, you're like, I am, I'm spending time with God, I'm, I'm living in the luxury of his presence, just letting him kind of invade me and give me heart desire, and I'm, I'm studying the scriptures. What do I do next? It's real simple. Proverbs 16, 9 says this. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Proverbs 21.5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. How many are planners in this room? How many kind of think planning is boring? Okay. The scriptures call us after we've sat with the Lord, after we've invested in becoming students of scripture, the scriptures actually call us to become planners, to build a plan, look down the line and say, okay, Lord, this is where I'm at. I need, this is what I think I'm going to do. The plan could be as simple as, Lord, this is what I think I'm going to chase, what I think I'm going to pursue. Maybe some of you are standing at the threshold of heading into college and you're wondering, like, what do I study? Who am I? Isn't it such a huge question? Who are you supposed to be? You're like, ah, I don't know. What if I pick wrong? What if I study chemistry and I'm supposed to be a philosopher? What happens if you just sit down and go, okay, Lord, I've been sitting with you. I've been studying the word, and my desire is this thing. Does that make sense? So, Lord, this is my plan. Step three, make a plan. There's an old one-liner that I like. It's those who fail to plan are actually planning to fail. And the scriptures say, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. You know what I love about that? It means that I can make plans and God's watching over them to help protect me. Proverbs 15, 22 says, Often plans go wrong for lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. So after you've made your plan, this is the point that many people don't want to do. 
The scriptures would say the next step is get some counsel. Get some other people that love God, that have the word in them, that are sitting with God. Submit your plan to them and let them give you feedback. Well, it's none of their business. It's my plan. If you want to succeed, get some counsel. We tend, how many tend to get caught up in your own brain once in a while? And you can see the world from your lens only. The gift of perspective is what other people can bring because they see things we can't see. And scriptures teach that that's part of wise planning, is letting other people speak in. I have a team of people around me at all times, people that I trust, that when I'm at a crossroads, I will sit with them and I'll ask them, hey, this is where I'm at. Do you have any advice for me? This is what I think I'm going to do. And I just let them say, ah, man, that's a really dumb decision. Don't do that. I don't get offended about it. Why? Because that's honest advice and it's amazing. Why would I get mad at somebody when I asked them a question and they gave me the answer? Well, you didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. Then don't ask the question. But Scripture would say if you want to succeed, get counsel. And then the next step is commit your plans. This is Proverbs 16.3. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. That means get before the Lord after you've made your plan, after you've vetted it through some counsel, some friends, And give it to him. Say, Lord, here's what I plan on doing. Here's the steps I want to take. This word commit literally is the idea of laying before someone. The root word in the Hebrew is to roll away. It's the idea of exposing something. So it's like saying this, God, I want to open up the door on my plans and let you see everything I'm thinking about doing. Why? Because I want to hear what you have to say. And see, sometimes if we have a bad God complex, anybody know what I mean? Unfortunately, the way we respond to God is often motivated or controlled or influenced by by our father figures in our lives or our leaders in our lives. And to the extent that we can trust them, we often put that off on the Lord. But you see, Jesus will say in Luke 11, if you being evil, talking to people, he's just talking to a crowd, if you being evil natively know how to be good to your kids, it's instinct. And anybody who's a parent understands it's instinct to be good to your kids. It's just natural to want to love on them. If you being evil know how to do that, how much more does your heavenly Father know how to be good to you? You see, he's good, he's gentle. He's gracious. And so when we lay our plans in front of him, we share what's in our mind and we begin to vet it with God. Lord, I want you in this plan. I want your wisdom. I want your character. The next step is in James 4. James 4 will teach a principle. Look here, you people who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. James's response to that, how do you know what will happen tomorrow? For your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we'll live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your plans such boasting is evil. So James's answer is, hey, live surrendered. Live with the awareness that God's watching over your life, 
But that gives us our next point. When the doors open, move through them. Don't overthink it. All too often in the kingdom, God will open doors. And like, to think back to my story. I was crying out for a job, praying for a job, fasting for a job. God, give me a job. And my phone rings and I get offered a job. And my answer is, oh, that's not God. And I moved on. Because it didn't fit my grid. It wasn't what I wanted. I didn't want to go back to my hometown. I didn't want to be where I'd come from. I wanted to go to Africa. God could have picked up the phone and said, will you come to Africa? Will you serve orphans? I'd be like, yeah, I'm in. But the moment he calls me to go back to my hometown and serve the people I grew up with, I'm like, oh, no way, Lord. I, I know them. I don't like them. I don't want to go there. It didn't fit my grid, and I was overthinking it because the answer is I asked God a question, God provided an answer, and instead of just stepping into it, I was trying to troubleshoot it. Being double-minded is what I would call that. And I want us to be people that understand how to walk through the doors God's opened in front of us. When we've committed our plans to the Lord, when we've sat with him, we've made a plan, we've got counsel from everybody, we've done our due diligence to make great decisions. And then the Lord opens a door, be blessed and free to walk through it. Don't overthink it. How many have ever heard somebody go, I don't know, it's open for, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to, I'm not sure if it's God. Have you ever heard that phrase before? We get bound up instead of just living free. There's a passage that says all things work together for good to those that, who love Christ Jesus and are called according to his purpose. What I love about this is that our Father protects us. When we're, doing your when we're doing our best, when you're doing your best to make great decisions in the kingdom before him, you need to know he has got your back. Even if you make a mistake, he'll help it and figure it out. Some of us were taught about a judicial God that loves to delve out punishment when we make a mistake. That is not who he is. It's just not his nature. Bill Johnson, uh, pastor of Bethel Church in Reading, he has a phrase he will use, and it's follow your favor, and I love it. Because what it means is, when the Lord's blessing something, just follow it. Just go where the Lord's already showing his blessing. The last point, the one I think is, maybe last two, well, I think I got time for two. This is probably the biggest ticket for a lot of us. How many sometimes wonder when things go bad, did I miss God? Just a couple of us? Wow. How many just try not to think about anything right now because it's too late and you're hungry? Paul makes a statement, there's a wide door for effective ministry, there's a wide door for for good ministry here. Many people are responding. And then he says this phrase, but there are many who oppose me. He uses the same phrase. Many people are responding. Many people oppose me. Almost gets the idea that it's 50-50. Some days are good. Some days are bad. And I would love to say it this way. In the midst of making great decisions in the kingdom, one of the things we have to know and we have to understand is that opposition doesn't mean you made a wrong decision. Because there are times where opposition and opportunity are both legitimate aspects of God's will. Why would he put me in a situation that's bad? 
Jesus learns obedience to the Father through the things he suffers, which means there are seasons that are tough, and it's not because our Father's out to get us, it's because he wants to bless us with something that would be impossible to learn without that season. And the only time that I would doubt that is if I doubted his character towards me as good. But as long as I remember his statement in Jeremiah to a people who are in captivity, they're slaves, he says to them, look, I know what I have planned for you. Blessing, not cursing, a future and a hope. Don't take your eyes off of me. Trust me, I got this. So sometimes when things get tough, I want us to remember opposition doesn't mean we made a wrong decision. Last thing I think we've got to remember in the midst of this is, how many have ever played cards? I can't believe you asked that in church. I thought that was sin. No, how many have just ever played cards? You played, played something that involves a suit where you trump something. There's one card in the deck, and it wins every hand. There are times where I think the Holy Spirit does that, where he will step in, and he'll interrupt your life, Paul has a moment like that in Acts 16, and it says that, that next Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had told them not to go into the province of Asia at that time. And then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed for the province of Bithynia, but again, the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go. So instead, they went through Mysia to the city of Troas, but that night, Paul had a vision. He saw a man from Macedonia in northern Greece pleading with him, come over here and help us. So... We decided to leave for Macedonia at once, for we could only conclude that God was calling us to preach the good news there. I would say this, be sensitive to Holy Spirit interruptions. Leave space in your life for the Holy Spirit to interrupt and speak. That doesn't mean, here's my problem, I see most of the church live Point eight, be sensitive to Holy Spirit interruption as if it's the first place to make decisions from. And God has given us the scriptures and a revealed will so we are people that can make good decisions in the kingdom and he wants us to live open to the Holy Spirit's interruption but not become so weak-minded that we have to have the Holy Spirit interrupt us and lead us. One of my Bible college professors, a guy named Paul Verish, used to say this all the time, it's much easier to steer a moving car than a parked one. If you found yourself so afraid of failing that you've decided to not make any decisions, I would submit to you, you just don't understand the scriptural process of how to make a decision. Because God doesn't want us sitting idle, terrified to fail. He is for us, not against us. We are called to be overcomers. People that go out, you might have business ideas, things that have been brewing in your heart. Go through this process, surrender them to the Lord, and if the Lord breathes on that thing, go kill it for God. Go do the things God's called you to do. Go out into the marketplace and be the people God's called us to be and walk in a confidence saying, my father's for us, not against us. He's teaching me how to make great decisions because he wants me to succeed. Amen? You guys doing okay? Yeah. Let's stand this morning. I'm gonna pray us out. I'm gonna take a quick second to pause so they can stop the tape and then we're gonna deal with some family business real quick. Jesus, we love you. And Lord, I know that, that making decisions is hard. As I've walked through it, it was one of the most grueling things in the world. But Lord, I, I would ask that you would grow in us something to where making decisions with you becomes fun. It becomes a place for us to gain intimacy with you and learn more about who you are. It becomes a place where you teach us more about who we are. Jesus, we just invite you into every aspect of our life. 
For every decision we're going to make, we ask that you would grow us and teach us how to do it well so we can reflect you really well to the world around us. We live in a city we love, but this city needs to see your people killing it. And we cry out for that, that wisdom, that grace, and that anointing on this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.